Um, first of all, I'm so excited to see all of you here. So many of you are, I know are close friends and sort of family of Frank, so it's exciting um, <laughs> to be here among everybody. I want to lead off because I think that um, there are so many in this room who know some of this work. I want to lead off with talking about um, the works that are in the show. Mm -hmm. um, this is an exhibition that begins in 1979 yes. and goes all the way to 1996. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, it works, yeah. Where did you live then? What did you? What were you doing? What's the sort of? What's Frank Bowling up to between 79 and 96? Uh, um, I was struggling to maintain my studio in New York and um, re-establishing my situation here in London and um, I fell foul of what I thought was a rather decent person, an artist called Graham Nixon and I was fighting for my studio in New York which was on Broadway in spring and the, the art scene, the painting scene in uh, during that time was tumultuous and they were sort of the color field painting had um, <coughs> begun to sort of uh, buckle and um, sort of uh, become sort of meaningless in terms of what you were looking at and, and there was arguments about uh, um, empty center painting uh, um, what, what would that have meant? What was empty center painting? Empty center painting meant that, you know, the, the middle of the painting, when you look at the uh, work, uh, it was sort of like just empty, so to speak, even though it was filled with paint. But the edge was where, you know, the, the sort of established distinction of what was um, uh, uh, a, a work of distinction. Everyone was. Um, looking to the edge, I mean, Jules Olitsky, for instance, was painting these fields of sprayed paint with thick acrylic and um, then drawing the edge of the painting in sort of bright color or sort of subtle colors. And so the painting stood as though it was a piece of something that you had to reckon with. And, and um, of course, there was um, other, um, there was a a meeting among the artists downtown about um, where painting was going and uh, there was a panel that I titled with a painting where, where painting is going so there was all this turmoil about establishing the sheer pure quality of what we were doing as painters out of Colorfield and then in came uh, sort of the uh, new uh, um, New painting out of um, Berlin, Germany, with people sort of um, sort of revisiting uh, um, worn-out ideas about composition and stuff like that. And, uh, it dawned on me that the, the way to proceed to make pure painting uh, established and strong and uh, wide enough to accommodate all the talents that were around. The paintings lacked structure and they were falling to bits. So I set about myself to restructure the idea of how you make a picture. And um, the edge, of course, was important, but also the depth of the field of painting, you know, like it was a, 
it had to be flat so that you know the nuances between the surface had to show that it was like up front and uh, flat and on and on it went so um, during that time of course um, I had um, a difficult sort of uh, domestic situation my sons were growing up in London and I needed to see my children and um, I tried to hold down a studio in New York and one in London and it was during that time that I was in London uh, trying to be on the edge and, and being you know in contention with the best that it was but I was painting alone in London with this sort of these bodied out structures and you know thick paint and the rest of it and, and this is during the time which I was making these paintings. I felt like while Frank was talking, Mel, that your head was bobbing and that you were, you were as a critic, when you were looking at that work then, how did it, what did it seem like to you? And what was the sort of tenor of painting at that moment in London? Well, as Frank has said, um, on the one hand, you had uh, the kind of recrudescence of, of a kind of expressive figurative painting coming from Germany and elsewhere, uh, I didn't find that very interesting. And at the same time, a lot of people who'd been painting through the years when painting was supposed to have gone into exile, you know, during the, the triumph in the 70s of yeah. conceptual art and so on, um, came out again and uh, kind of asserted themselves a bit more. But all that was happening, it seems to be, in a way that was uh, quite a bit distant from what Frank was up to. Frank's uh, uh, response to American painting was always kind of interesting. It still is, and it still goes on. Yeah. But when he talked about empty center painting, um, the uh, and, you know, with a painting, where was painting going at that time, that kind of thing, a lot of that painting, that pure, that kind of abstract painting in New York, I mean, I think it was not just empty at the center. I mean, I think it was just generally empty. And the question as to where it was going, the answer must surely be nowhere. Uh, I mean, that was really the problem, Frank. That was the problem, yeah. And what's interesting for me, in relation to what Frank has been saying, not the only thing, but is that Frank somehow, in spite of the fact that he knew these people, worked with these people, knew what they were doing, in a way that people in this country really didn't, because things were happening uh, in such a way during the mid-70s, late-70s. At the same time as that was happening, uh, Frank was doing his own thing, more or less consistently, and entirely coherently through those years. And it seemed to have very little in many ways to do with what was going on in, um, you know, uh, open field, plain color field. I mean, even uh, Frank was a master of color field painting, but uh, even then he wasn't satisfied with it. Yeah, you know, when people were making big, beautiful, empty, Colour field paintings. Frank had to complicate the matters by, you know, you know, using a stencil and putting in maps and, you know, his mother's house. And I mean, it was like uh, 
so I mean, there's always been the sense in which uh, Frank was a free spirit. The other thing to be said about that period um, in relation to Frank was that, as he's indicated, uh, very briefly kind of adumbrated, it was a time of great stress um, and tribulation in many ways. Yes, yes. Uh, personally? Personally, okay. both here and in the States. They were hard times. Quite apart from anything else, he had no money. And um, nevertheless, in the most cramped circumstances sometimes, one of the, some of the biggest paintings he made, wonderful paintings in fact, which we might mention later, were made in a room that was no bigger than a kitchen. Um, uh, and uh, it's a kind of marvel that that happened. So what I feel is that when Frank speaks of these troubles, it shows that in a way there's this kind of free spirit, this extraordinary kind of creativity and refusal to to be um, you know got down it by these things. Down, yeah. uh, it, it is, it, you know, it's the triumph of painting, if you mm -hmm. like. I mean, he went on doing what he went on doing, and that's something which is uh, going to be that for precise period is what's covered in this exhibition, mm -hmm. and what I hope maybe we can talk about a bit more yeah. as we go on. I want to ask, I want to read something that you said, Mel, and I want Frank to tell me what he thinks about this because it's, I find it really interesting. Mel says in the catalog for Train Gone, the show at the Sprit Museum, he writes, this painting is less determined, less predictable in its forms and evocations. What does that feel like to you, Frank? Um, it, it sounds like he was honing in on how uh, it was all happening because um, uh, to me, I had to uh, rise above my circumstances and make works that were uh, the cliche cutting edge, you know, I, I was very conscious that, uh, you know, an awful lot of the stuff that was going down was rubbish. I had to cut through it and make, try and make it new. And um, we were uh, overwhelmed by the notion of novelty, so that if, um, you know, uh, the paintings had sort of uh, glitter or something like that, that was emphasized, not the actual sort of piece of work that could stand on its own on the wall and uh, and deliver, you know, a sort of satisfactory sort of picture, you know, and, and a, a, a work on a rectangular piece of uh, painted canvas that just simply you couldn't walk by it, you know, that it caught your eye. So um, I, I felt that um, even though modernism has is, uh, one of its ingredients that is ongoing, the novelty, that um, the novel is not necessarily to do with beauty or uh, making a work that is, um, uh, if you like, awesome to look at and, you know, like the feelings you get out of it is sublime. You can't have the sublime I've been arguing recently over and over again. I just tried to argue then that the work has such power that you can't walk past it, you have to confront it and deal with it. And I felt that what I was trying to do with the kind of knowledge that I had at the time about geometry and, you know, architecture, 
you know, he's trying to bring everything in, like um, church architecture details and, you know, sort of classical buildings and the whole business of the rectangle as a classical sort of piece of something that actually helps us divine, define ourselves in these rooms in which we live in these boxes. So, you know, I just kept going, trying to cut through all the rubbish and, you know, make work that was kind of new, but uh, wasn't bogged down by the notion of novel. Mm. You know, even though novelty had its place in modern, modern consideration for assessing, you know, the quality of work. And yet this is exactly the moment where you introduce things that many people you know, Mel included, have called novel, like the foam, yes, into right. the painting. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I found that um, anything that was um, uh, sort of plastic, you know, the whole notion of uh, plastic paint, plastic toys, plastic everything, you know, you can make anything out of uh, You know, that was one of the reasons why you could actually make a work out of this superior sort of artist material that was plastic paint. And when I started cutting up the foam, I discovered that because of uh, my predilection for sort of uh, um, using unusual tools like uh, pinky shears, that the serration across the surface had a kind of uh, um, echo of the weave of the canvas at the same time. It made it sort of like operate on the flat rather than the relief. And, you know, that's what I was really sort of uh, digging into and trying to present. And I was here in London and not in New York where the, the front line was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a difficult time in that sense, too. It's, I'm, I'm fascinating about so many things about you, Frank. Um, and I feel like I know lots of things about you personally. Um, yes. <laughs> too many, maybe, sometimes. But one of the things that I don't know um, actually has to do with you and Mel. Yeah. In that, so of any other critic and any other writer, period, Mel yeah. has worked with you, I would say, for the longest and the most sustained relationship. Yes, yeah. well, the, the nice thing about Mel is that Mel was part of a kind of literally, literary thrust that was happening in new writings from the Irish and English. Uh, you know, we had friends who were poets and uh, publishers and hanging out. The London scene was much more literary in that sense than New York, which is to do with, you know, uh, hustling your, your, your game up for uh, producing paintings. And here it was very literary, and my predilection for, um, uh, you know, an early need to be a poet, I used to hang with these, with these uh, literary people, and that I found a sympathetic soul in Maryland. So you met him because you wanted to be a poet? I met him because of the, my longing all the time to be involved in the literary things. Mm. You know, the, uh, writing. Well, uh, yes, but I met you because of my longing to be involved in artistic things. <laughs> 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 I, um, we did have friends in common, that's true, but... Um, Who were your friends in common? Well, there were writers and poets. Uh, that went back a long way, and publishers who were publishing, as, as Frank said, a number of Irish writers at that time, Flann O'Brien, Patrick oh, right. Kavanagh, and Kavanagh, so on. Yes, so, uh, but the interesting thing is, Frank, that one of our, our at that time, close friends in common 
I actually wrote a review, sought to write it and wrote it mm. in, um, in response to a review I wrote of your Serpentine show, which was the first show of these works that came out of the late 70s, early 80s, which left behind the kind of automatic, uh, determined painting of the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the port paintings <laughs> that, that you showed to such brilliant um, effect in the Tate last year. And that's what I meant partly by more, you know, um, less determined. They weren't determined by process. They, would, they, they were, of course, determined, but they were determined it's by determined. decision, it's, yes, by putting things in, by sticking in these bits of, um, uh, of uh, gel, uh, these bits of uh, foam. foam. And I have to say, that made a lot of people found that very, very difficult. It made life, in a way, critically difficult, I think, for yes, you. Because yes, I mean, our friend said, was Frank doing eating all this acrylic? Look at the shape of him. Yeah, the, cro the foam, nobody understood the foam. Nobody understood the gel. Um, but talking to Frank, I, I began to realize that at that time, I mean, when I hardly knew anything, um, I began to realize that it was in classic English painting that he was yes. looking for um, some kind of way out of the impasse you've described, you know, what to do and how to, how to make it, both make it new and somehow make it uh, not empty mm. and make it kind of mean urgent. something, yes, urgent. grab you when you looked at it. And these paintings did, but they seem to grab a lot of English critics in quite the wrong place <laughs> because, um, you know, they actually, as I said, one of our friends sought to answer, I wrote a good review, I mean, good, I mean, a favorable review. It was good. It was good. well written as It well. was good, yeah. But I wrote a favorable review of the show where these big new paintings were, were being uh, showcased at the Serpentine. And this friend decided to write a very long critical letter in which he said, these are not paintings at all. No. <laughs> these are something else. You know, what's happened? Frank Bowling was a painter and now he's something else and he's made, it's kind of nonsense and so on. Because there just was not uh, a, a very favorable, critical kind of frame within which the kind of work that Frank was doing, which, you know, was unprecedented. There is nothing like the work of this period. No, it's a fantastic no. period of work, and the show um, in Sweden is going. I think it's going to be so spectacular for that yes, reason. I think it's going to but that. you know, so it was. There was, although we had friends in common, they weren't necessarily that friendly to what Frank was up to, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and so it goes. Yes, it was. Yes, I lost my revolutionary zeal. <laughs> post-colonial politics and all that, and, uh, but I was um, intent on making uh, uh, competitive pictures. And it's true what Mel has just remarked on, that uh, I suddenly discovered the people I was intent on trying to open up, like Newman and Still and Rothko, had learned something very special from uh, uh, 18th, 19th century English landscape paintings, 
you know, Constable Turner, people like that. And uh, uh, um, the Americans had done something that was sort of specific about these uh, attempt to sort of uh, uh, picture the awesome and make it sort of sort of uh, uh, not domesticated, but make it sort of uh, uh, light up your. Um, the, the environments in which he lived. And um, it, it, it twigged on me that being um, trained and uh, living in London with um, the Tate Gallery around the corner and uh, the National Gallery, that I was looking at art from that point of view, being, uh, you know, you had to, sort of, uh, when I went to art school, knuckle down and do the, just the sort of, uh, um, the drills that you would put through, learning how to draw the figure, organize the space in, in, in the canvas and, and stuff. So all this business of uh, the edge and middle and stuff, I'd taken in uh, um, without sort of uh, having to dwell on it. You know, it was part of how I was. And the Americans, were, you know, what they'd done with me painting through from Jackson Pollock Ford, uh, you know, we were up for something that um, was, uh, um, I don't know, all these cliches I can think of, like the New Frontier, you had to make paintings that were just so, um, uh, specific and, and, and uh, um, full of life. You know, within um, the the disciplines of the the material you're working with, like red, yellow, blue, and stuff, and all the geometries, you know, that um, was insisted on by um, you know the the Council of Trent and the religious sort of dictates about you know pictures must work in a room and stuff like that. We all we had it, you know, we were drilled to respond to that when you're trying to make some art and all the other peripheral things because of this insistence on novelty and newness tended to lead the activity into a cul-de-sac. Yeah. And mm. I felt, you know, uh, that uh, um, I suppose in my innocence that I was uh, in it too because uh, my good friend Kevin Greenberg said, you know, you mustn't hesitate, you know, go for it. You know, there's no uh, um, avenue of uh, uh, um, the activity that you're not allowed to activate and um, make new. So I, 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 I was um, just... Um, if you like, sort of predetermined to, to, to go for it. Mm. And uh, the works that I was doing then here in London, which is the way it was all being made, some people was making in Skowhegan in Maine, mm. places like that. <clears throat> I forget, Frank, that you, I don't forget this, but, it, but I'm, I'm reminded to hear you talk about your practice in that way that you are trained at the, the Royal College at a time when yeah. essentially you're getting the education of Reynolds. Um, still right. distilled yeah, down yeah, into yeah, a very yeah. specific way, but by a 68, yeah. that would have absolutely not been the case. No, not the case, because I was in, in New York and, uh, you know, in, in the stream of the, you know, this sort of turmoil of making uh, uh, works that um, have uh, 
this capacity to amaze and um, uh, detach themselves from, you know, uh, almost, but not yeah. entirely from tradition. I think the thing is, historically speaking, important the thing is that Frank had a deeper access, if I can put it that way, a, a, a more inward, uh, you know, relationship with British painting, especially with the great classic trio of Gainsborough, Turner, Constable. Yes. And that access was not available to American painters in all sorts of ways. I mean, they were aware of it. There was a big Turner show in New York in, I think, 66, which opened a lot of people's eyes, but they opened their eyes because they thought he looked like an abstract expressionist. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. um, so you have that. Frank had, once he set himself upon the course of being a painter, had been familiar with this work, mm -hmm. and as you've said quite acutely, was working within a, a school system within which, you know, which went back to that, in a, in a manner of speaking. But on the other hand, being in New York, absolutely in the thick of it, you know, um, Frank was very, very aware, in a way that most British artists weren't, of what was going on inside American painting, not just what it looked like, but what was happening in terms of the arguments, the ideologies, the thoughts and feelings as they were expressed quite often eloquently by the artists themselves mm -hmm. at that time. So he had this. Only one other, I think, um, British artist you know, had anything like a similar kind of, um, as it were, grasp of that duality. And okay. that was, uh, well, I was going to say John Hoyland. Okay. As an abstract yeah. painter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other artist, yeah. I think, Frank, that, that had anything like that insight. Mm -hmm. You know, he went to New York as well, more or less at the same time, and so on. Roughly, yeah. So, you have this grasp of British and therefore European painting, plus this inner knowledge as well mm. of what was going on um, in New York, which was the kind of cauldron at that particular time. These paintings at this period, both in terms of scale, in terms of ambition, in terms of the, you know, um, the desire to activate the surface, the desire to be evocative without being descriptive, mm. all these things, you know, mm. to, to create an event, um, which is what you're talking about yes. when you said about, here's the rectangle, what's going on? Yes. How, how do we, you know, and how does that relate to the things that make us what we are. Yeah. You know, this is big. These are big demands yeah. for for a, 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 any artist to be making on him or herself. And um, so, you know, there they were these two sources, and Frank was able to to utilize both. So these paintings have scale. They have color. They have, as I said, those things about the surface. They have things about. The fact that it, yes, you know, it, it's a flat thing. It's an object on the wall. The yes. the, the 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 what you call it? The foam yes, made right, that more yes. clear. You know, there it is. You can see it's stuck there. Mm -hmm. you, it, the facture, the making, is there in front of yes, your eyes. Everything was going on, and the music of the the, the 
rhythms, the color, and you know, it was all, it was not just painting and exactly. sculpture that was happening in New York, but all the jazz musicians were around. Yes, Coltrane. And, uh, Coltrane, and hence, uh, you know, Train Gone, because uh, that was um, my sort of uh, rather lame attempt to bring together an expression that of disappointment when you go to you, especially the people, the poor people in Guyana, uh, uh, going to the train station to sell their wares and stuff, and arrive there and they, 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 the expression comes up, train gone. And I was thinking of that in terms of John Kurt's train, gone, 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 and the music way out there. And you know, this, it was just kind of mealy, this mixture that I was trying to sort of uh, get into the center of and be in contention about making works that could stand and uh, deliver uh, within the, the best, you know, the, the first order activities that it is painting. You know, you, there is something about painting that you can always tell <coughs> that the activity is about a first order activity by the, the way the artist manipulates the paint, you know, the, the shape of the thing, you know, the, 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 the stuff that comes to your eyes and, you know, makes you feel funny and, uh, you know, you stand back and look again, those sorts of things. is a whole experience about painting that I was trying to aim at. It's funny that you mentioned this. Today I went to see the Late Turner Show at um, the Tate. And at some point, there is a, a really wonderful card that explains that um, the paintings that are left unfinished at Turner's death are not titled. And so mm -hmm. there, there are titles that are applied um, post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And then it's great because the curator comes back in and says these are obviously not titles that Turner would have approved of. No. <laughs> so I'm looking at your t the titles. I mean, the titles that, that you have in the 60s and the 70s yeah in many ways seem to speak to the moment of those paintings. Sometimes they reference the studio, yes. sometimes they reference the streets in which you live, the people that you know. Yeah. But then we get to the 80s and into the 90s and we have um, Squashed Unicorn. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Fish's Wishes and Uncle Jack. Yes. yes you just tell me, I don't know. <laughs> it was me trying to, at the same time, duck the criticism I knew was coming down by trying to uh, sort of uh, um, get the, the onlooker of the work to be involved in aspects that I myself are involved in, like, um, you know, uh, uh, um, mythological things, uh, um, you know, the, 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 from the Greeks to the Romans, and also, you know, sort of Sepik River and the Africans, everybody had, have their kinds of, uh, um, as it were, secret numbers uh, uh, that um, those in know know, but those who are not in know will have to find out about. It was all to do with some kind of. Uh, you know. So there are those of us who will never know. Well, uh, there, there, there are those of us who will never know because you know you can't catch it because you know the sound goes through the air like an arrow and. You know, tank feet. I mean, uh, tank feet, for instance, is um, uh, uh, there is um, elephantiasis, which is a tropical disease that you get from the water. And you, you know, the, your, your feet swell, and it's probably related to what I am suffering from acutely still. Uh, um, 
um, diabetes, you know, and uh, you see a Bigfoot woman, you know, tank feet, and, uh, um, uh, and uh, the, the, the name Mazaruni is a river in, in, in the abundant rivers in Guyana. So I'm playing with the words as though I was still continuing to be a poet or something mm. like that. Mm. It's all, you know, I've been having fun. Yeah. <coughs> so a lot of the, you know, those things are to do with um, sometimes pathologizing hurts. You know, uh, um, I mean, you know, I, I named a work called Bradley's Dog. But it was one of the, the most swift American black painters, African-American painters around town at the time. Tom Bradley? Uh, no, uh, Peter Bradley. Peter Bradley. Color field painter, you know, and he was really, you know, he was taking glossy pages out of um, um, those magazines about, you know, lots of vegetables in the world and sort of trying to, you know, ape these images and, you know, uh, I knew somehow that that was a cul-de-sac and you couldn't convince Peter that, you know, uh, he, because he was involved in a um, deluxe, you know, everything had to have, you know, that kind of edge and swank. And, you know, that's not what painting is about. Painting is a very serious kind of thing that, you know, if you can't deal with it, it'll jump on the wall at you. Hmm. you know, and Bradley's dog was a, a, a something, a, a title that I deliberately use as a kind of challenge to his, uh, um, you know, he knew more about jazz and, you know, he'd be, and things like that, and, you know, he was a swanker. Well, you know, you don't bring him out in the yard and punch him up, you know, you just do it much more swiftly and cut through him, you know, this kind of thing. You paint no. him down, is what you're saying. <laughs> you get down, you get down, right? yeah.